You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. This is going to be a sermon, a homily, a shorter sermon, if you will, on the importance, the significance of the Lord's table. I am not going to be able to, there there will be some more meat on the bone. I'm not going to exhaust this topic fully, but I hope, my aim, my goal is to show from this text why the Lord's Supper is among the most powerful witnesses of the gospel in the church and an an irreplaceable means of grace in the life of, of a believer. Let me read this text to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. Paul writes, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because you have come together, or when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another, excuse me, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. Verse 22, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or, you just, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, verse 23, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I will give directions when I come. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. 
before I, I jump into the text, I want to kind of give you some insight into where we're going at the turn of, of the year. Uh, your elder team and I believe that uh, we need to recenter ourselves and refocus on what it means to be together, to dignify one another in Christ. And so this Sunday, followed by three other Sundays, we're going to talk about what it means to be together, to grow in Christ together, both corporately on a, on a larger scale and and in smaller groups, what it means to, to have life together. Again, to dignify one another. Um, in this age of tribalism and us versus them and this suspicion of the next person, we really believe that the church ought to be a peculiar people and that we know what it means to be together with different opinions and differences, but to be united and under Christ himself. So this Sunday and the next few Sundays in January, we're going we're gonna to focus on what it means to do community life together. On January 23rd, Lord willing, we're going to be blessed by Clement Tendo, our missionary that we're supporting, uh, who is uh, very soon going to be on his way to the DRC. He's going to be flying out. He's going to preach on January 23rd. And then January 30th, Lord willing, we'll pick back up in Genesis and we'll continue that series. But we want to start the year with this theme of life together. What what does the scripture say God's people are uh, to be together? And we thought the final Sunday of this year, an extended sermon on the Lord's table is a good foundation for that, a good way to end the year and a good foundation as we talk about participating in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't get more uh, solemn and serious than this. So uh, we're hoping that this will be a good foundation for us moving forward. In this text, this is a I've been really eager to share this text again. This has been a few years since we've been in 1 Corinthians. And our uh, view of the Lord's table continues to mature. It continues to develop as as a church. Some years ago, we used to turn the lights off and we'd all approach the table and we'd go to different places on, on you know around the sanctuary and we'd have private prayer. And that was sweet. I, I, I missed some of that. But then we felt convicted from this text when Paul says, wait for one another. Do this together. This is an expression. This is an illustration, the Lord's table, of your togetherness in Christ. And so we're like, okay. So we turn the lights on so we can see one another. And and we go and we all partake of the elements at at once. We wait for one another and we partake together, signifying the unity that is in the body of Christ. This text has challenged us in the past. And I anticipated it continuing to challenge our our understanding of the Lord's table, not for the sake of challenge, but for the sake of reverence and joy as we come to the Lord's table in remembrance of him. So again, I am really hoping that uh, we will see this ordinance as, as one of the, among the most powerful witnesses to the gospel itself and an irreplaceable means of grace in the life of a Christian. Before Paul gets into the purpose of the table and its beautiful witness to the gospel, Paul identifies a major problem in Corinth. And he minces no words in surfacing this problem. Look again briefly at verses 17 and following. Look at the problem that Paul is addressing. 
Paul says in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Now stop there for just a moment. In chapter 1 of, of Corinthians, Paul addresses this issue of division in the Corinthian church. You remember this. He says, there are some that are saying, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. Remember that? So this sort of tribalism is not a 21st century problem. It's, it's been a problem since Adam. But Paul is addressing it here in, in Corinth. Corinth was all about who, whose name are you under, right? And so uh, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Apollos and so forth. And this division was, was really beginning to fracture the church. And again, that sort of distancing from the family of God was happening in the church in Corinth. And so Paul, in part, is writing this letter to unify the church again, to remind them that we are all gathered in and around the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's okay to have other influences, other denominational heritages that you pull, that you pull from and different people that you learn from. But let us not forget that we are in Christ ultimately. That, that is our identity. And so here the table of, of grace is that living sermon, that living illustration of our oneness and our communion together in Christ. And so Paul here is trying to tie those loose, loose ends of division in the church and trying to say, this is what it means to be together. And so here, he says, I believe it in part, look at verse 19, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Verse 22, do you... Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So there's the problem. There's the problem. In the first century, the first day of the week, the Lord's day was not a day off like we typically have. This weekend, Saturday and Sunday, is sort of a Western um, idea or Western invention. Sunday, especially in the first century, was a work day. It was a work day. And so most of the church would either gather early in the morning before work or they would gather late in the evening after work. It was a work day. It was the first day of the week. And in our text, the church in Corinth was meeting in the evenings. They would meet after uh, the work of the day was done, and then they would share in the Lord's Supper together. And apparently there were those that didn't have a nine-to-five. They had certain affluence. They were landowners, perhaps, and they didn't have to go to work on the first day of the week. They had people to work for them. And so they weren't tied down with a job, and they would get to church nice and early. And apparently in Corinth, some would help themselves to the bread and really help themselves to the wine. And by the time, though, the tradesmen, the blue-collar workers, the servants, 
um, the slaves who were all equal members of the church. By the time they would arrive to participate in the Lord's Supper together, there was nothing left but a few crumbs and a few drunks. And so Paul says in verse 21, for in eating, each one goes ahead of his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. And then he says, do you not have houses to eat food in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? It's interesting to me that Paul you would expect this like the drunk part to be like Paul would talk about like getting drunk is like a really big deal. And certainly it is a sin, it, it is a sin to get drunk. It is a sin to get drunk. And Paul talks about getting drunk elsewhere in, in the scriptures. But he doesn't seem to be most concerned about that here. He seemed to be most concerned about the humiliation of others. Because when those who had means were able to go to the Lord's house and participate in the Lord's Supper before everyone else, it became just a blaring signpost to everybody else who had to work, who the haves were and who the have-nots were. And so those that would show up that had to work all day would show up humiliated because they had nothing. And this infuriates the apostle. He says, are you kidding me? Of all places, the church ought not to be a place where you go to celebrate differences. But instead, the church should be a place of celebrating our shared fellowship in Christ. In fact, just one chapter before in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, Paul alludes to this very thing, this fellowship that we have together, regardless of income, regardless of skin color, regardless of socioeconomic status. There is a kind of fellowship that we all have together, and it's celebrated in the Lord's Supper. This is what Paul says in just the chapter before, in chapter 10, verse 16. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation, same word as fellowship, koinonia, in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation, a fellowship in the body of Christ? Then he says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So then, in other words, the church gathered around the Lord's table is to be a place of deep fellowship in Christ and with each other. And this fellowship ought to outshine any other thing that may be true about us. Paul doesn't condemn affluence. He doesn't condemn those who are landowners and don't have to work on the first day of the week. No, he condemns this idea of differentiating yourself from another person and humiliating them because they don't have the same means. Because Paul has this idea of the body of Christ, this sainthood of all believers, the priesthood of all believers where God sees this ground level at the cross and he wants the ground level at the communion table. Holy communion, in other words, is not meant to celebrate our differences, but instead to celebrate our unity in Christ. So this is the problem in 
Corinth. But after Paul's sharp rebuke, as he often does, Paul pivots and he gives them now a compelling vision, a compelling reason why they ought to change their thinking and behavior regarding the Lord's table. And this is where I want us to to camp out uh, for the remainder of our time. Look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is a familiar refrain for us. Week in and week out, we tend to read this text. Verse 25, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, Paul, why are you so worked up? Why are you so upset about some of the abuses of the Lord's table? Isn't it just bread and juice? Why have you reserved some of the harshest rebukes from the, from, from the Apostle Paul? Why have you reserved some of the harshest rebukes? Isn't communion just a mere formality, a liturgical function of the church? No, it's not merely that. Paul reminds us of the gravity of this ordinance by drawing attention to Christ's own words on the night of his betrayal. This is my body. This is my blood. This is why in my view, it is so bizarre and inappropriate to take communion at home. It, it doesn't make sense. We come together as God's Christ, God's blood-bought body to participate in the body and the blood of Christ together. And that's not a, con- a condemning. I know we've had to do some weird things over COVID, but this is why when COVID hit and we couldn't take communion, we just said, we're going to abstain from this until we can do it together. Because what we hold in our hands, according to the apostle, is an emblem of the gospel. Christ's blood for you, his body for you. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, writes this. He says, quote, the Lord's table is a visible sermon. God, he says, to help our faith, not only gives us the audible word through preaching, but a visible sign through communion. Therefore, the Lord's table is a highly significant moment in the life of the church. It's holy because of what it means. It's heavy because of what it costs. And it ought to provoke deep comfort in the believer because of what it proclaims. On Friday... Yesterday, two days ago, (laughs) Friday, we talked about comfort. Comfort that comes through the Father, through the redemption of the Son. How do you get the comfort from God? You're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The table ought to be a place of deep comfort for the believer. An ongoing nourishing meal to remind us of what has been done in Christ's own body and in his blood. 
It's holy because of what it means. It's heavy because of what it costs. And it's a deep comfort because of what communion proclaims. So what do you do at the end of a long week like this one, perhaps, where you're, you're, you've got extended family over and you've got uncles you don't care for and, and aunts that say things inappropriate and kids that are sneezing all over you that are sick? And what do you do at the end of a long week and your spiritual track record is looking dismal? Perhaps you haven't prayed enough. Perhaps you haven't read your Bible enough or deep enough. You haven't thought hard enough about who you are in Christ. Perhaps you've thought poorly of others. Maybe you've even spoken some things that you ought to repent of. Maybe you've thought poorly of yourself. What do you do at the end of that week? When, when it seems like Satan himself is just breathing accusation down your neck, what do you do at the end of that week? You go to the table. You go to the table of grace. Thomas Watson again says this, quote, When the devil accuses us, let us show him the cross of Christ. When he brings his pencil and goes to paint our sin in their colors, let us bring the sponge of Christ's blood. And that will wipe them out again. All bonds are canceled. Whatever the law has charged upon us is discharged. The debt book is crossed with the blood of the lamb. Let us take the sponge of Christ's blood and wipe it clean. That's what we get to do when we come to the table. It's not just a remembrance of the past. It is a present ministry. The sponge of Christ's blood reminding us of who's in charge and who gets to declare things over you. Oh, this is a glorious privilege. It's a holy ordinance. It is different than any other meal we participate in. And it is glorious. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Finally, because of the gravity of this ordinance and the gospel it proclaims, now Paul says, because this is so weighty and so glorious, one ought to examine themselves before coming to the table. Not only should they examine themselves, but they should also wait for one another. Look at verse 27 to 34 as we close. Paul says, whoever... Therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let me, let me stop there for just a moment. We get questions often about why we guard the table or fence the table. You've heard that phrase. When we guard the table, we're saying this is a this is a new covenant meal for Christians who have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior. This is not for you if you're not a believer. And and this is some of what we're pulling from. This sort of approaching the this is this, this is a common meal. This this is sort of a this is just bread and just juice. 
Paul says, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of Jesus. In, in our view, it would be unkind to unfence the table, if that is true. It would be unkind to just say, yeah, this is just bread and juice. Just everybody just come. It's not. This is a holy ordinance for the people of God. And he goes on. Here's why. Look at verse 28. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Then he goes on to say, and I don't quite know what to do with this other than what it says. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. That's how serious this is. It's manifesting physical discipline. But if we have judged ourselves truly, Paul goes on, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let them eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. Again, Paul, like a parent, you can almost hear of that parental tone. I'll tell you more about some things when I get there in person. Like, oh, geez. There's more to say. <laughs> Paul is deeply concerned about the abuse of the table in Corinth. The Lord's Supper again had become an opportunity for division and not unity. The proclamation of the table became about class warfare and not the gospel. And so his warning to the church couldn't be more severe. When Paul says examine yourself, this often gets, I think, misunderstood. Paul isn't saying until you've scrubbed your mind clean and you've become worthy to approach the table, then you can come. If that were the case, none of us would come, if we were being honest. I mean, how do, you, how, do you, how do you do that thoroughly enough? I've had people come into my office and say, Pastor, I just, I can't, I can't come, to the, come to the table this week. I say, why can't you come to the, come to the table? Because I, I've just, I've sinned in my, my mind, in my heart, and I, I just feel convicted about it. And I, and I should, I just, I think coming to the table is just not right. And I would say, dear brother or sister, that's exactly who it's for. That's what it means to examine yourself, to, to think about your unworthiness, to confess your sin, to humble yourself, and to come to the table where you're reminded of the sponge of God's grace. To come to the table in an unworthy manner would be to not examine yourself, not consider yourself even needing of God's grace. That would be, that would be terrible. But to examine oneself and to be humbled by your sin, to be humbled by your failure. Oh man, this is, this is who the table's for. This is who the, the nourishing of the gospel is for. And so Paul is saying to believers, because you've been washed by the blood, because his stripes have made you healed, let this affect the manner, that's it, 
the manner in which you approach the table. Don't come to the table haughty and arrogant like you deserve the table. Come to the table humble and grateful because it's provided. And then Paul says, not only to examine yourselves, but he also says, wait for one another. Wait for one another. This is not just a private moment between you and the Lord. It's also a public moment for the church. So we wait for one another. This is our privileged experience together as Christ's very own. This is that living illustration, this living sermon of the community of God's chosen, serving one another, deferring one another. And again, the Lord, when when this happens, the Lord's Supper is one of the most powerful witnesses both to the gospel and the unity of the church. Because again, we're coming not on our own merits. We're not coming, we don't have our, our sort of a different place setting. Remember the disciples, who will sit on your right and who will sit on your left, Jesus? Who will have priority in your house? Oh, the table is that sermon that says all who come by faith regardless of where you come from. You're a part of the family of God. And so this is a feast of heavenly wine. And God invites us to sup. The juices of the living vine were pressed to fill the cup. Oh, bless the savor ye that eat with royal delicacies fed. No heaven affords a costlier treat For Jesus is the bread. The vile, the lost, he calls to them. Ye trembling souls appear. The righteous in their own esteem have no acceptance here. Approach ye poor, nor dare refuse. The banquet spread for you. Dear Savior, this is welcome news that I might venture to. If guilt and sin afford a plea and may obtain a place, surely the Lord will welcome me and I shall see his face.